Good morning, everyone. I'm uh, Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. Uh, I want to welcome you. I also want to say hi to everyone who's watching online. I know the Memorial Day weekend can carry people away, but I'm glad they're tuning in. We have been in a series um, based on one of the greatest sermons ever preached by our Lord Jesus Christ, and he ascended on a mountain and proclaimed many incredible truths for practical living in relationship with one another and also incredible kingdom living. I have to tell you right now this message is rated PG-13, and you'll know uh, from the content why. I trust the discernment of parents in this place. So anyway, let's kick it off with a four-letter word, and it's this one, lust. I know that it can bring forth many images in the mind's eye, and literally it means by definition, to lust means to have strong desire for, to possess, and to dominate completely. What do we lust for? In today's world, there are multiple things. We can lust after that our world does show us, whether it be money or idols or power. The church is there as antiseptic to guard and to help in lust, in lust practices. As Christians, we must allow God's principles and standards to dwell in us, to guard our hearts and our minds and our souls. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis states, lust is a poor, weak, whimpering whispering thing compared with that of the richness and energy of desire which will arise arise when lust has been killed. Freedom from lust will produce liberty of the mind along with the richness of living in incredible pursuits of the things of God and good things, calling and leading into joyful obedience in love and freedom. So Jesus gets very specific on this subject of lust. And so in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses specifically men, although this is applicable to all. In Matthew 5, 27 through 30, he says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her In his heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go to hell. Jesus begins with, you have heard it said, and he moves from the sixth commandment to the seventh commandment, that you shall not commit adultery. And he points out that true obedience to his commandment needs to come and reign in the heart. This time he raises the bar with that commandment to even to look lustfully, or even a woman to look lustfully upon a man is guilty of adultery in the heart. Now we cannot take the gouging out of the eye or cutting off the hand literally. I'm not gonna set up a table up here with letter openers and hatchets. He is though using this language to say 
You have to be protected from this. You have to take this seriously. This teaching is vital for us to hear and to obey. For God wants us to protect his beloved children. He warns us because he knows it's difficult not to lust after the opposite sex. And in this passage, he specifically addresses men. Trust me. When you're a healthy American male, it's very challenging to live in America or even in any part of the world. When I was in fourth grade, my oldest brother, Chris, and I went to a friend of his, uh, Gary, uh, his house in Aurora, Indiana. I remember it so vividly. It was the day I was introduced to something very horrific, and it took away a chunk of my innocence. Chris and I went upstairs to Gary's room and Gary tossed me this magazine. Although I don't remember the images, but it was the beginning of an erosion or a battle for years to come. This girly magazine was a Playboy magazine. And after I, even after I committed my life to Jesus Christ, this temptation was always there, lurking. And I believe many of you men can identify the struggle. And even in that innocence, it came. It can be lived out. And so Jesus really gets to the point here. And all these temptations are around us, gentlemen. And throughout my ministry, I have heard men's struggle with this type of lust. And it affects them personally. The world sees, sees lust as no big deal. You know, it's okay. Indulge. Go for it. And society, we see, has lost all its modesty and discernment. In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, John says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And you see that, that battle that we have in the world. Now Jesus is, is, is not saying that it's wrong to look at someone who is of the opposite sex and say they're attractive. He's not saying it's wrong to be attracted to someone. But he's saying there's a big difference between looking and lusting. Lusting after someone can be equivalent to adultery. And so he gets serious on this particular matter. Jesus goes on to say what we should do with respect to the lustful eye and that stumbling block. And so we need to be utterly ruthless to make sure it's killed. If there's something that would cause us to trip up to sin, we should not do it. If looking at something would lead to sin in the heart, we should not look. If going somewhere might lead to sin, don't go there. That slow erosion, if left unchecked, can lead to a path of destruction, a living hell, and the death of many, many good things, including healthy intimacy and family structures. We have to guard on that. Radio personality Paul Harvey, he tells a story about how an Eskimo kills a wolf. The account is grisly. Yet it offers a fresh insight into the consuming, self-destructive nature and consequences of lust. First, the Eskimo 
coats a very, very razor-sharp blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. Then adds another layer of blood and freezes it, and then another, and then another, until the blade is completely concealed by the frozen blood. Next, the hunter fixes the knife in the ground with the blade up. And when the wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent, he discovers the bait. He begins to lick it, tasting the fresh blood. Begins to lick faster and faster and harder until the wolf's blade in that arctic night becomes, freezes its tongue and starts to cut without him realizing it. And he begins to have this, in, this thirst that he only can satisfy with his own warm blood. And then that appetite craves more until at the dawn the wolf is found dead in the snow. It's a fearful thing that people can be consumed by this type of lust and craving. I just finished my degree at Xavier in clinical mental health counseling. And you see the severity of sexual addiction and the severity of this particular subject of when sex and lust can create and do devastating things to individuals and relationships. It's only by God's grace and the assistance and the the help of the incredible ways and teaching of the church to help us and lead us to a place of healing. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 24, Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When I help men, and, and I'm the, the uh, staff liaison for our men of Anderson Hills, I talk to men in this struggle, and I begin to teach them on some steps that they can take to help with this particular subject of lust. And I use an acronym of the word FLEE. Think about what we're supposed to flee from, things that can harm us or kill us. For example, we definitely want to flee from a tornado or oncoming traffic, or a wasp's nest that fell right in front of us. We need to run. And so, should we run from sexual immorality? To Christians in a sexually confused culture, Paul issues a very clear order, flee from it. That is, flee from the dangerous enjoyment of sexual pleasure outside of God's wise design for this enjoyment in marriage. Thankfully, God is committed to our sexual purity in 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, You were bought at a price, so glorify God in your body. And so this gift of the Holy Spirit reminds us that we do belong to God as his beloved. Let's take a look at this acronym, FLEE. It's biblical. It's hard to forget. You can write it on a napkin. Jesus, first it says, fill yourself with Christ. That's the proclamation of constantly of the church. Fill yourself with the life of Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. How do we fill ourselves with Christ? We depend and trust and come to him by faith and ask for the ministry of his Holy Spirit. We fill our lives with God's word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fill your life with his people, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Second, lock out the lies. Why do we run to instead of from sexual sin? It's because lies. When I, that magazine was tossed to me, a lie fell right in my lap. I remember my mom and I talking about this particular subject when I was an adolescent, prepubescent. She said, Jonathan, that's not love. That's not love. And I remember that. And now I can look at that and say, that is a lie. I believe this is what Jesus was getting at when he said, do the extreme things to get rid of these lies. Lust is a liar. Flee now. Better yet, don't pass by because law, or pass by because lust will call. It'll call us to stray off of the will and God's path. There was a counselor who was speaking to an alcoholic in his recovery, and an alcoholic said that he, he always drove by the bar every day on his way home from work, and his truck somehow would turn into the bar's parking lot, and he would go in and begin drinking. The wise counselor asked the client, is there any other way home? And the client stated, you know, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. That's what lies do. They turn us off. So what we need to do third is exchange lies for truth. Unless we retreat from the world, we're going to encounter those seductive lies. And actually we begin to lie to ourselves. We were born to exchange truth, the truth about God for a lie, along with everything else, including sex. For Christians, God is in reversing the exchange. While our old self was corrupt through its deceitful desires, the new self is created after the likeness of God, and God desires to reverse that curse, and it happens through truth. What then should you do when you're tempted? Remember the person, or the person you're looking at, or whatever, whatever that lie is. First of all, they are created in the image of God, and they're not an object. And I found that out through the ministry and assistance and healing that happens in the church. We have to remember that the, the truth about ourselves is that you are, in fact, a beloved child of God, and that defines you. Are you embracing lies or exchanging them for truth? Are you glorifying God with your body? Finally, I tell these guys, expose yourself to the light. If you fall into sexual sin, you'll be tempted to isolate and go off alone and hide in darkness and pretend that it didn't happen and stay in your shame. We have to remember that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and forgives us our sins and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Confession brings sin to light and light to our eyes that we can see that darkness and have God's light shine in it. Also, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's what Christian friends are for. I was a United States Air Force chaplain. I would constantly tell uh, airmen and women the concept of the unrivaled wingman. Think about it. No rivalry. 
Both are just there for each other to cover the six and to make sure that the enemy is not behind and will take them out. We need a confidential brother or sister who has our back and, can trust, and we can trust that person in that confidentiality where there's mutual accountability, love, and growth. Do you have a wingman? Do you have a wing woman? Lastly, Jesus recognizes the painful truths about marriage, the painful truths about divorce that happens within marriage, and it doesn't always work out as God intends it. There are things that can break apart a marriage like adultery. If one partner in marriage is unfaithful, it can break that marriage in God's sight. So Jesus goes on in this teaching. He says, it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What Jesus is saying here is back then men would just simply hand a woman a piece of paper and sometimes it would just have one word on it and it would be divorce and it would be over. And guys would just continually in that context do it over and over and over. And Jesus wanted to nail that down and stop it. I know many of you here have probably experienced divorce. Maybe infidelity or painful circumstances have led you to that. Anderson Hills is not a place of judgment in that, but a place you can heal in God's love and grow in your singleness or with your current spouse. God intends for marriage to be permanent. We need to avoid the way of the world. It's so casual, has that casual attitude about divorce. And it's not something that's thrown away easily like getting rid of an old PC and get a new one. Kimberly and I will be married 27 years this summer. It's July 18th, right? Yeah, so July 18th. My mom's birthday is July 14th, so sometimes I say it wrong, so I want to check. That's why she's sitting here. She's like, okay, you got it. Anyway, I want to tell you, and she, she probably would nod her head, it's, it's tough at times. There are times we've had to fight for our marriage to strengthen it, it's worth it. We're in that empty nester phase right now. We've been in it about 10 months, although the kid came back from college. <laughs> but trust me, I tell you folks, as a pastor, I've seen God heal even the most devastating things that have happened in a marriage. I've seen marriages survive infidelity, addiction, abuse, and so forth. And it's not impossible. But I've also seen divorce actually assist people in their lives to live out their lives on the path and will of God, even though it was very difficult that that took place. There are resources here at Anderson Hills and in our community that will protect you and help you and help you strengthen that with trust and love and confidentiality. Protect your marriage through that sacrificial love, going on dates, worship and praying together, drawing nourishment from life groups and other couples. Take advantage of those incredible enrichment retreats. Kim and I went on Outback at the beginning of May, and Outback is a, is an, a wonderful 
marriage retreat for couples and then also parents and children. And they, they separate the couples and the children and do teaching. And you do have to sleep in a tent. And that was tough to convince her to do that. But it was incredible. And those two days, three days were amazing. And I saw a lot of things about myself that were really selfish. And I know that I need to constantly sacrificially love her and put her needs before my needs. I believe healthy marriages lead to healthy families which will enrich and bless and preserve the world. In closing, Matt Howell, one of our pastors, he's our student minister, we were preparing on Thursday and he said, Jonathan, have you seen this music, the music video by Casting Crowns about marriage? And we watched it together and we both discerned that we should share this video with you. And so I want you to sit and look at this incredible video by Casting Crowns. Second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade. When black and white turn to gray and thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow
support. I know incredible counselors. I love to sit down with men and talk to them. If you need anything, just don't hesitate to contact our staff. We're here for you and we love you. So will you join me in prayer? Dear God, uh, thank you for your teaching. Jesus, you taught to protect us. You love your children. You want to keep us safe. We are all your beloved children. Bless this church. Bless the marriages. Bless those who are in their singleness. Bless our community. And may we continue to walk in the path guided by you. We give you thanks. We thank you for this incredible sermon on the mount that you proclaimed long ago that is so meaningful and applicable to today. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen.